You're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that's really important from a leadership standpoint, and that's making sure that you have the right team in place and you build and you organize a team appropriately. And we're going to welcome to the show. Mina Zavoda, she's a corporate turnaround expert who has made quite the career in building and organizing teams and fixing businesses, going in, diagnosing, and figuring out what needs to happen, and um, really improving the operations. So welcome, welcome to the podcast, Mina. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. It's my pleasure. So you've had a wide range of experiences. Um, just looking at your bio, you've kind of been there and done that for sure. Why don't you kind of uh, walk us through your story and um, kind of places you've been and what drove you? Sure. Thank you so much. Um, I started out as uh, on Wall Street, believe it or not, um, as a young girl, one of the youngest females, one of the only females back in the day. I was 21 years old working on the New York Stock Exchange, which was really exciting. Before that, I was in tech. I worked for IBM co-op in school. So I've done everything from tech to finance to the film industry to um, building uh, hotels to building medical facilities and fixing existing businesses. So how'd you land upon that? How'd you become the, uh, the corporate repair person? <laughs> kind of by default. I, it's, not, it's not something you aspire to wake up in the morning and say as a kid, I'm going to be fixing businesses and going into troubled entities and seeing how to mess it all up and make it better. So it's not something you really aspire to. Um, I think it was more uh, coming from a business standpoint and kind of falling into a niche that um, was very much needed within existing businesses or startups. I also have been involved in several startups from ground up. So a couple interesting things. I want to kind of start with the diversity of experience you've had. You've, you know, you've been sort of all over the place. You're not really attached to one industry. How, how does that work for you? Do you think it's... Um, does it matter? Is it important to be in the same industry or what do you think? Well, I know when I'm looking at employees uh, to hire within an industry, I am looking for an expert that hasn't bounced, on, uh, bounced around a lot. Um, however, I, again, I think I'm in a unique situation where I'm multifaceted and can, it can, it's more about the startup and having a business function as a whole than having it be uh, business or uh specific or industry specific so it's more it's it's kind of like a good producer it's, it's all around production of business and the different aspects of the fields so when you go into a new business you know there's probably a, i would imagine there's a bit of a learning curve how do you really go in how do you look at the business and what kind of tools do you use to really figure it out fast well, I first go in and I look at the financials. Um, I go in and I see what is the business uh, producing of revenue and why. Where's the deficiencies? Where you know what gaps? Why are why is it either underperforming um, or just staying at a plateau? And I try to identify those deficiencies, whether it be the current employees that are in place, uh, as far as a company culture, um, how how maybe you know it's about revamping that culture and creating uh, better positions or uh, positions of inspiration, positions of uh, people really wanting to be a part of that company culture and build that company culture. So 
no matter what kind of business it is, I think across the board, it's, it's really about, you know, creating that culture that works and that flow, that business flow of production. You know, I said production earlier, bringing in the production to make that a viable company and the stepping stones and, and filling those gaps. I would say that any business, you know, pretty much works in the same way. You talked about culture and culture is really a big part. And it's something that um, I talk about quite a bit. Okay. Um, do you find that in a, uh, in a fix it mode, there's a certain culture that works? Do you have like a uh, off the shelf kind of culture you bring in or how does that look like? Um, sure. I think, you know, the, the company culture really has to um, complement its audience. Um, I, it's all about customer service, no matter what facet of business you're in. Um, bringing the, the culture or bringing the client into the culture is very important and supporting that client supporting that business um, across the board, whether it be finance and you're, you're dealing with uh, funding a large project or if it's patient care for, for the, you know, the surgical industry that I'm currently in, it's really like intertwining and, and, and giving the, that patient satisfaction or that client satisfaction, wrapping your arms around that and getting team players that, that participate in that culture. And I, um, it's also about, the, the common thing I find in businesses are when the, the, the cultures are divided within the entity itself, whether it be operations, clinical in my case, or uh, corporate. So all the way around, you want to bring, you want to marry everything together. Um, no job is insignificant. We're all, we are all part of that team and working together. If you don't have any teamwork, you know, I'm all about how we can make make this work as a team and that no uh, position is more insignificant than the other. I would say that's my cookie cutter culture. It is just basically working together to make it happen and not have a division of, of uh, departments. So how do you dive into that? How do you really get started on sort of bridging that gap between what it should be and what it is? Well, I think you, before you even start bridging the gap, it, it becomes very apparent um, when you walk into a company for the first time, what's functioning and what's not functioning. And I think, you know, when it comes to my type of position for me to be called into a company, it's in trouble, to be quite honest. And, and it usually is that kind of division that I mentioned uh, before, that, that the departments are just simply not working together. And if you have some poison apples in the well, you know, you have to remove those apples and see who really wants to be there. And, and I think that's, that's where you start is, is bonding and gluing those personnel people together or, or changing them out is the most important. And I know you hear a lot, the businesses, oh, they get new management and they fire everybody. Um, there's a good reason for that. Honestly, um, if it's if it, they're not working together, then then your business is going to fail. Your bottom line is going to fail if you if you don't have happy employees and happy customers. You don't have a happy business in the bottom line. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because you know there there often is a hesitation, and I want to dive into that in a minute. There's okay. often a hesitation to fire somebody. You know, there's always a story. There's always some reason, right, on the personal side. But the reality is, if you don't make those changes, everybody loses. And, um, and that's, that's why you're there, you know, it's, uh, because everybody's going to lose if there's not a change, but there's so many times I go into companies and that is what's needed. And, uh, I mean, I go in from a different angle, but I, I see it. And oftentimes there's this corporate resistance, this, um, 
you know, well, we don't want to fire people and, you know, we're not, we don't want to be that kind of company and we want to take care of our people and all that kind of stuff. What do you do to get around that mindset? Well, it's funny you should ask. <laughs> I've been in that position for the last six weeks. Um, it's difficult because, you know, I, I don't know how wide the audience is listening to this podcast, but here in California where I reside, um, we have very difficult times in dealing or difficult obstacles, I should say, dealing with that. Um, it is an at-will state. However, we know what at-will states look like. At-will being uh, just defining that a little bit. If the employee doesn't like uh, to work there, they're allowed to quit. If employer doesn't like employee, they're allowed to quit. However, then there's retaliation laws and there's HR laws. So you're dealing with so many different laws and such abuse of those laws, frankly, mm -hmm. that it becomes very difficult. And a person like me walking into a company having to deal with those different things. I, I recently came into a company that has a lot of issues and I'll just, I can't say too much because it's proprietary information. However, um, I've, in six weeks, I've had to clean that up. Um, and there's still a couple things uh, plaguing me. So you could probably even help me and, and give me some of your aspects. But um, I think it's something internally and people in our positions talk about, like how do we do this delicately? How do we do it in a way that doesn't put the company at risk? Um, are we checking all the boxes? It's, that's, there's not a definitive answer to that question. It's really hard to get the, uh, the mind wrapped around it. And, uh, and I'm familiar with California. I've done a lot of uh, <clears throat> business in California in previous lives. And, you know, the regulatory environment's tough. But, you know, in my experience, you, you know, it really is all about you have to make the changes. So how can you do it in a way that, you know, respects their dignity and, uh, you know, allows them to maintain that dignity Everybody kind of comes out of it okay, as much as they can be. And if, if you do that, you know, it sends a message to um, the person, you know, being let go, but also sends a message to the organization. And, and you can always be sued. You know, that's the reality, right? Especially in California. And what you want to do, and you have to spend money to defend it, whether you're right or wrong, but what you really want to do is handle the, the breakup, if you will, in a way that is, you know, not as hurtful as it could be and keep them out of the lawyer's office to begin with. Sure, sure. I mean, again, that goes to, down to your company culture and the integrity of that culture. Um, and, you know, good management. I think it starts from the top and then flows down. Um, I, I know that some of my predecessors, you know, perhaps were part of the issue um, in some of these companies. We won't name any companies, of course, but you know, it always starts from the top and goes down. And um, usually when it gets to the point where there are lawsuits and employees are disgruntled, it usually started at the top. They didn't feel uh, heard. They didn't feel like the, the corporation cared about them or had their back uh, protected them. So, you know, coming in to fix that sort of situation is very delicate and it's a fine line. And I think, you know, Years of experience help you um, deal with them and to not hurt. And actually listen to that employee. I, I think a lot of times we're just really quickly, people are quickly to go in and say, oh, well, that person's just a troublemaker or this is happening when that's not always the case. I think, you know, it, it, there, it's, a, it's an entire workflow that has created this. It's an entire flow that wasn't, um, it, it was missing aspects of what it needed to do. And I think that, 
being sensitive to all parties is really important if you want to fix these issues, just like you said, and, you know, and having integrity and making that person feel comfortable, no matter what their decision is, that you support them. I think that's important and not to judge right off the bat. Yeah, that's a really good points. And I really like the point about it does start at the top and, and you have to handle that delicately mm-hmm. as the top's the top. How do, do you have techniques that you use to really handle that delicately? I mean, every situation is independent um, of its own. Um, however, uh, I think it's more what I usually do is I'll come in a company and I'll interview personally each one. If there's a particular problem that's a legal issue, I'll make sure that, uh, you know, there's at least two managers in a room. I think that's important because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people retain about 30% of what they hear and, and they can often, if they're emotional, twist that. So I think that that's really important. I think the technique is just being a human being and listening and being empathetic. And, and you know, that's very much part of my own culture that I bring into the table as I care about the situation. I think if you come into that situation and care, you can make a difference. Um, I guess part of my arsenal would be my empathy and compassion. Yeah. You know, that really goes a long way. Um, so we kind of talked about, you know, you have to make the changes in the organization. And we, and we talked about the one change, the uh, moving the people out. But oftentimes, there's another change that happens, that's replacing them. And oh, we yeah. often see that's the, that's the resistance right there is, well, you know, I can't just let them go because, you know, I don't have anybody to do the work. And how, what advice do you have on, on replacement or the hiring process? And uh, do you have difficulty with that, given the fact that you're in a broken company? Well, that's that's funny. You should ask that question because, again, that's something I just went through. Um, we had a rapid turnover uh, as far as my entry into this company. And um, I personally had to set an example. I actually wore the hat of every role, no matter what that was, whether that was front desk, surgery scheduling, um, finance, operations, uh, clinical uh, I don't know if that's hard for people to do and it's a fast burnout rate. So it, it, you kind of come in like you're the, the monkey with the drum or the, the symbols and kind of doing this and you're just kind of, you know, doing all of these things. And it's very, very difficult. It is 14, 16 hour days, six days a week. It's a grind. Um, not everybody has the luxury of perhaps, you know, keeping, whether a good or bad employee in place once the damage is done. So I think you have to kind of go with, go with the flow on that. And um, you want to kind of trickle it if you can, because it's a horrible experience being put in that position. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when, when you have a career like mine, you have to be ready for that. Yeah. And so you have turnover coming from two different places, right? You have the people that just got to go and you, and you move them on. And then you have people jumping off the ship. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what can you do coming into an organization to stop the good people from jumping off the ship? Again, it's about listening to them because they've already been poisoned by the other apples in the barrel as, you know, for a better lack of better terms, like we mentioned earlier, I think it's again, listening to them and being empathetic. And, you know, I think the argument I hear the most is, well, I show up to work and the people that are, um, troublemakers they know they can get away with anything they just do whatever they want it becomes the wild wild west and the people that are doing a good job are really in fact suffering from it and so listening to them and giving them some sort of guarantee that you are trying to help the situation because they get to a point of breaking point they're like i'm doing everything i'm supposed to be doing 
why, why am I suffering for, for their behavior? And I think that's the biggest challenge we have is keeping them stable and okay. And then that's why they jump ship in my experience. Yeah, you know, that's so true. And, you know, oftentimes we worry about the, um, you know, hurting the, the bad apples by firing them. But the reality is, is keeping them is making life difficult for the good players. And also you're sending a message too by keeping them. Um, but oftentimes those bad apples are really good performers. Maybe they're your top revenue producers, but they're still toxic to the culture. How do you handle that situation? Ooh, yeah, you're, you're hitting all the right points. Absolutely. Um, that's a difficult situation because they can be corporate loved because they're making the bottom lines. And then, uh, within an organization, they can be absolute poison. And, um, I think in that situation, I mean, I just had that situation. Uh, you, you still need to, to manage that employee out. And I think it's because no matter their attitude flows, again, it stops from the top. And I think that in a sales organization, they can be top dogs. And that's still flowing down to your, your foundation of people that are supporting that, that pyramid, for lack of a better term. Um, I think if you, it's like having any kind of structure, if the foundation's cracked, it doesn't matter how much you're making, it's eventually all the bricks are going to fall down. So it's really a choice. It's a lot of meetings with that, that top person is trying to get them involved in the culture. And if they can't do it, then they have to be, they have to eventually be replaced. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, yeah. I've, I've kind of watched this over and over again and I was, I was talking to somebody else fairly recently that does a lot of this kind of stuff in revenue jobs. And one thing that happens, it seems is, you know, you let that top performer go, everybody else steps up their game. They do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes, it becomes lighter hearted within the office space. Um, uh, I've noticed that here cause we, we just went through that. Um, and we just produced in one month, a hundred thousand dollars more than the month before. And then in about $200,000 more than the month before with those top producers being gone. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how that works. And, um, you know, and that's always the argument because you always have that mindset. Well, I can't let them go. They're a star. And so yeah. there's so much data out there that it shows that everybody else will step up. And, uh, you know, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, so you're, you, you go out, you replace the players, you bring in, um, you bring in a new team. Mm-hmm. And hopefully a new team knows what they're getting into as much as you possibly can. Because um, you know, boundaries of what you can say, yes. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Or what you know. Yeah. You know, depending on when you bring them in. You know, it's one of those things where oftentimes any rock you turn over, there's a snake under it. And yeah. you know that well, I'm sure. How do you get that that initial team to to buy in and to stick around? Well, what I'm noticing, I mean that's the, what I'm noticing is I'm a, I'm very much a nurturer, right, personally. So um, it's a comfortability with me that has made people say, wow, you've really made a difference here. We're, we're happy that this is a better place to work. I used to not want to come. I used to be afraid to come to work. I've heard everything you could possibly imagine. And, you know, I'm, I kind of, people call me Mama Mina because I come in here, I fix it, and I'm nurturing. I hug. You know, it's like, it's like putting my arms around the company, if you will. And I think that, that, you know, that is very much a gift that I bring to the table. And I, I gain the respect, both on a corporate level of that employee and, and for, they feel that there's a sense of care that the corporation brought me in in the first place. You know, I, I've seen, um, 
I've seen a lot of new leaders brought in to, to fix organizations, whether it be the entire business or whether it be a, a function of the business. And, you know, a lot of times they get their own team. You know, they come in and they bring their people in. They, they know them, they trust them. What are your thoughts on that? Do you take that strategy or what are the pros and cons there? A little bit of both. I actually have hired, I have a new hire today. Uh, she wasn't part of my team, but I have some people that I've employed in the past that I am bringing on board. I'm very much excited and my company is very excited to bring them on board. I trust them. I know how they work. Um, I know how strong and I know them morally, like who they are as people. So I'm always happy to recommend people that I I believe in and to promote them and promote within too. And the people that are existing, you asked me the question earlier, how do you get, gain their loyalty to show them they can move up horizontally within the organization too. So again, it's that team, but yes, I do believe in uh, hiring people that have proven themselves in the past. And I think it's a mixture. You don't want to put all your buddies in place. So people feel like they're outnumbered um, and that, that they're not going to be heard but it's definitely to put one or two diamonds in there is great. Yeah. I think assuming that they, you know, they fit the needs of the business, you know, it, it speeds up the learning curve. It speeds up their ability and speed at which they make an impact because they know you. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's always a compliment too. When you, when you call these people up and they say, we'll do, we'll go anywhere with you because <laughs> we know how you work. And you know, that always feels good too. Yeah. yeah. So, is there a particular sort of profile if you're high, you know, you can't hire all your buddies, like you said. And, and so if you're hiring somebody off the street, is there a certain profile that you look for people that can handle this kind of environment? What do they look like? Well, as you know, that can always be dangerous too, because somebody could be one thing on paper mm -hmm. and in, in an interview process and be a whole different can of worms later. I think, you know, in order to check the right boxes, you have to see that they're excited. Maybe they've already done their due diligence on that company and have wanted to work for that company for years and are so excited to even have that interview. You can tell the difference in someone that thinks they perhaps are, have a chip on their shoulder and you should hire me because, I mean, there's different personalities. Um, as you know, there's even tests that sometimes corporations send out to see what kind of personality that person is. I think if they're extremely intelligent, they can beat those tests and, and get, you know, do whatever they think is going to work. Um, I'm all about face-to-face -face looking in the eyes. I'm pretty old school, honestly, and seeing not only do they have the education and the goods, or if they don't, can I train them? Can I make them that star? And you can usually see a star um, right away. It's really a personality thing uh, for me personally which I know there's so many different ways and other people and how they handle it and can be a lot more intense. Um, but for me, I, I just, it's a general feeling of, do they check the boxes? Are they going to work well with me? Do they work well with others? Are they like an, uh, an ego driven employee or, or are they a team player? Yeah. One thing I've noticed is, um, you know, in the turnaround environments or the fix it situations, not everybody's cut out for that environment. Not everybody wants it. So really finding that, that good fit is to that, not just the company, but to the uh, situation is very important. Absolutely. Okay. So, so switching gears um, real quick is we, uh, you mentioned earlier that you've done some startups as well. What, oh, yeah. what are the, what are the differences between the fix and the startups or are there any? Oh, well, the fix are, they kind of feel like startups. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're kind of going from the ground up almost. But startups, I mean, it depends what you mean on startup. I mean, usually I also have a, a build 
background. So, you know, I actually can build a business construction way, you know, construction, I can design brand and build from the bottom. That's really hard because you're wearing so many hats and existing, you know, I can do everything from branding to construction, to design, to marketing. Um, that becomes a, a huge endeavor. That's a lot more grueling than going in and fixing a company. However, it's very, very close to the same because you might have the, the bricks and mortar in place already, but, but again, you can have that broken foundation. So uh, structurally restructuring a company operationally can be a challenge because you also might have some people that have had that company for a very long time and will fight you on that. So, so there's just so many, they're so different. Usually with the startup, they're open and saying, help me build this, you know, and with something already in place, it's you're, you're hitting your head against that brick wall. That's right. Yeah. yeah you're, you're, you're calling somebody's work ugly. Exactly. And then there's a lot of ego in that too. And, and you have to, again, it's like tread lightly. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I really appreciate your time today. This is uh, some really good stuff for our audience and, and whether you're, you know, going in and fixing a business or you're fixing an apartment or even if you're just um, building an apartment. These are all just great lessons. So thank you for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you. Yeah, wish you the best of luck in, uh, in this new endeavor you have. And uh, yeah. All right. Well, you yeah. have a wonderful day too.